Basically, you probably have heard people say, oh, our criminal justice system is broken. But I tell them it's not. It's, it's at, in fact, working exactly as it was designed, which is to marginalize people who were already from marginalized communities, people of color, LGBTQIA folks, folks with disabilities, you know, people who are just working every day to try to make a paycheck and, and provide for their families, while giving breaks to the rich and powerful while while you know allowing people like Harvey Weinstein and Jeffrey Epstein and the Trump kids to to face no accountability for for their actions while while locking everyone else up at, at very high rates so This is Adashina Koike, and you're listening to the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast. And what you listen to at the very, very top of this program, as well as in the background right now, is Pena. A lot of Pena. Uh, we took to the streets this summer as the latest reckoning that this country is facing and has faced as it pertains to confronting systemic injustice and systemic racism, institutionalized racism in this country uh, was the lead story in our country, along with uh, the coronavirus and COVID-19 on the heels of not only the virus, but the murders at the hands of law enforcement of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And we took a different tone to our podcast. We actually didn't put out a podcast uh, in the past few months. We took it to our uh, Facebook page and to our live streams uh, to talk more about sports and be more socially conscious uh, with sports. And we did that over the past few months. Uh, And we have been so fortunate that a number of athletes have been able to share their stories about uh, not only talking about the latest reckoning uh, that this country is facing in terms of confronting systemic racism and institutionalized racism, but what they can do not only to be not racist, uh, but to be anti-racist as well. So we have been able to talk with a number of athletes. We've seen so many athletes uh, during uh, the summer, whether it be the NWSL, the WNBA, the NBA, uh, specifically the WNBA, uh, the name of Breonna Taylor on the back of uh, the players' jerseys with the NBA, the uh, strike uh, that occurred uh, with the players after the uh, shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. So uh, we definitely advocated for the athletes athletes to use their voice and it was very discouraging yet not surprising uh, that a number of people uh, did not take well uh, to the athletes speaking out against racism and trying to use their platform as athletes to really shine a light on one of the biggest societal ills uh, in the United States of America. And so many of the people who did not take well to it got caught with the framing of these stories instead of actually getting the detailed knowledge uh, of these stories. And with this podcast, I want to be able to help out with some of those people who may not understand why they're is this writing, why there is this reckoning, why Black Lives Matter is not a terrorist organization, among other horrible, specious, false claims 
by bad faith uh, journalists, bad faith actors, and the like. Uh, our guest on this show uh, is a dear friend of mine and a friend uh, of the program, A Lot of Sports Talk. Her name is Eliza Orland. She is a public defender uh, in New York City, and she is running for Manhattan District Attorney uh, in 2021, March of 2021. And she and I during this interview back in June, went into details about shining a light on the framing of subjects that have caused division in this country and be able to break down why those issues are issues that need to be addressed and need to be addressed right now. Uh, So our conversation with Eliza and I hits on certain things about uh, COVID-19 and the conditions that are in prisons uh, where a lot of people have been not protected uh, from the coronavirus. And the coronavirus uh, absolutely exposed so many of the racial divisions in this country and the inequalities uh, in this country. Uh, And the one thing that was really, really striking about this interview uh, that we did was Eliza telling us a couple of things was Eliza telling us that the criminal justice system, as much as we all know, is unjust. She said that it's working exactly the way it was built, which disenfranchises black and brown people in this country. And we get into detail as to why that's the case. We don't just say this without receipts. So we hope that you do listen. We do use statistics. We use numbers. And most importantly with Eliza, uh, she's been in the courtroom. She's been right in the middle of all of this. And she tells us a few stories about what she has seen during her time as a public defender, which really highlights the systemic injustice and racism in this country. It's shocking. It's unbelievably shocking to a person like me, an African-American in New York City. While it is shocking, at the same time, it's not surprising. And even if you, at the moment, don't necessarily agree uh, with these arguments and these ideas and these statistics, at the very, very, very least, give us a listen. We will break it down for you. We want you to understand this. We don't want you to fall for straw man arguments and not be able to listen to the other side, which is part of the reason why so many people are against these certain things that I advocate for, that Eliza advocates for, that so many athletes in this country and the world are advocating for, which is justice, which is equality in all constructs of life, especially here in the United States of America. Um, So many people view racism as this, oh, there was slavery and there are people who use the N-word. They view it in the most basic terms and do not understand how slavery still affects us to this day in so many constructs. 
in terms of job applications, in terms of housing, in terms of the criminal justice system and the amount of time black and brown citizens get for jail sentences compared to their white counterparts and why there are so many discrepancies uh, in the criminal justice system between what happens to black and brown people and what happens to white people. There's a reason and there are reasons why uh, the group of people that face violence in this country more than any other are transgender people. Those are facts. Those are incontrovertible facts. And what we will do is put some of those numbers on the page where this podcast and interview is published. So you can listen to the interview as well as click on some of the links so you can read some of these stories from credible sources as well. So uh, without further ado, I do want to bring on Eliza Orleans as our guest of the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast. She's a public defender in New York City and is running for uh, Manhattan District Attorney in 2021. I think you learned a lot with this interview. So it'll start in just a couple of seconds and we'll see you at the end of the show. The combination of the effects of COVID-19 and the disproportionate amount of African Americans who have been killed uh, by the virus, plus the ongoing systemic racism in this country, as well as the incessant violence uh, by law enforcement against African Americans has been a deadly concoction. and. Those issues are exacerbated when you juxtapose those issues with the prison industrial complex. And a couple of statistics uh, really bear these issues out. Uh, a 2019 study by the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences of the United States of America concluded that about one in every 1,000 black men can be expected to be killed by police. That's compared to the general population and its odds, which is one in 2000. And a 2018 survey by the nonprofit FWD.US in conjunction with Cornell University found that 64% of US adults have had an immediate or extended family member spend time in jail or prison. And of that, Black adults are 50% more likely than white adults to have immediate family members incarcerated and three times more likely to see a loved one imprisoned for longer than a year. It is almost unimaginable to think that anybody in the middle class is not affected by that, whether you are an African-American or an ally uh, for Black Lives Matter. And joining us right now on the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast to talk about a number of these issues is Eliza Orleans. She is a public defender in Manhattan and has been for a decade and as of a few months ago officially a candidate for Manhattan District Attorney the Democratic primary for the Manhattan District Attorney spot is next year in 2021 March of 2021 uh, first of all Eliza thank you so very much for joining us here today and I know this is usually a throwaway question but given everything that I just mentioned with COVID-19 uh, with everything that has happened in the past couple of months from the George Floyd incident, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and everything that has spawned after that. This is not a throwaway question. How are you doing? 
Well, thanks for having me and thanks for asking. Um, I'm okay. I mean, this is truly, uh, we are living through this tumultuous political moment, um, a global pandemic, and all of the, you know, horrific killings of of black men and women by the by police officers. So I think that that's something that's been going on for centuries. Um, and, and I think that the fact that this is really coming to light now and people are saying, okay, we can no longer stand for this, um, makes me feel, I guess, a little bit hopeful despite everything terrible going on. I think it's, it's encouraging to see so many people out in the streets. You know, it's been almost three weeks of, of everyday protests in here in New York City and and um, and so I'm I'm hopeful that we will you know take on real change after after all of this is over uh, you've taken to the streets uh, in these past couple of weeks a couple of days where uh, you have live streamed uh, from different protests and different events uh, from your perspective uh, and I know there have been many people many organizations that have reported on it and some organizations that have reported on it in a way that might be and is misleading what was your experience when you were out in the streets of New York City on those days uh, where there were protests and demonstrations I have been out protesting almost almost every day since May 30th, which was a week after the murder of George Floyd and, and the Christian Cooper incident on Memorial Day. And I have seen almost entirely peaceful protests. The only kind of negative interactions I've seen have really been when the police have escalated things to violence. Um, you know, most protesters are out being being vocal, speaking out, you know, using their First Amendment right to, to, to take to the streets and protest um, the horrific, you know, conditions of, of what's happening in, in America with police brutality and violence and murder. And I think that um, even nights that we stayed out past curfew, when I was in areas that did not have heavy police presence, I saw, you know, no, no violence, no... Um, you know, looting, and people are, are saying those things like, oh, well, look at this, this is so terrible. But it's really, you know, that is that detracts from what is actually happening, which is people are, you know, fighting against the horrible racist systemic oppression that exists in our country. And, and so I think that we can't allow that to, to take any of the focus away from why, why we are out in the streets every day. One of the uh, buzzwords that has emerged uh, in the past uh, few weeks and programs or potential program uh, is the defund the police uh, campaign and uh, it can be misleading and there are organizations that have intentionally made that phrase uh, misleading uh, I just want you to explain uh, what defund the police is uh, for us through the lens of what you might propose and what you think is the best way for New York City to possibly uh, defund uh, the police, which is actually really, here's a skeletal explanation for it, just the reallocation of funds uh, from uh, the budget, uh, the New York City Police Department, which is $6 billion, uh, and reallocate some funds to programs uh, whose workers are uh, more equipped to handle uh, 
high stress and emergency situations compared to stretching the police force uh, even more than stretching them thin and having to deal with those situations. So uh, are you an advocate of the defund the police mantra and what it aims to do? And how would you, if you are in favor of it, um, implement that through the lens of uh, the New York City budget and in New York City? Well, as you said, billions of dollars, billions with a B of dollars are invested into uh, surveillance, punishment, and policing. And instead of fostering equitable, healthy, and safe communities. And so, so for years, our country has criminalized addiction, has criminalized poverty to the tune of, you know, tens, 10 million arrests a year and mass incarceration has has not provided people with public safety. And I think that, that our criminal legal system should focus on the perpetrators of real harm um, and not on people who uh, commit petty crimes and, and we're removing productive citizens from society. And I think that it's quite clear that we need to reallocate the funds that have been used on policing to support people and services in marginalized communities. So it's not just um, you know thinking about putting that that money into schools and hospitals and libraries and mental health initiatives and youth violence you know programs and after school programs and um, you know there's so many things homeless services job training there's so many things that that we need to be investing in as opposed to into police forces and and unfortunately you know as manhattan district attorney i won't have the ability to unilaterally make decisions as to funding um especially not as it relates to the police but i think that as manhattan da i will be a force for safety without fear and justice without overreach so i think it's it's this new vision for new york and i think that the last few weeks have shown us that this is truly what we desperately desperately need and i think that that the police responding to issues when someone's in the throes of a mental health crisis when someone is dealing with with other um you know with with other issues that we shouldn't be sending in armed police officers who typically escalate uh, a violent encounter rather than, um, you know, sending in social workers. Once again, Eliza Orleans, public defender in New York City and candidate for Manhattan District Attorney, uh, joining us right now on the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast. Uh, you mentioned something that I wanted to hit on really about uh, not necessarily you know punishing those who commit uh petty offenses and really crushing them uh in the system that we currently have uh in 2019 uh the new york state legislature passed a pretty progressive cash bail uh reform uh program where it abolished uh bail for a number of misdemeanors and nonviolent acts and then uh to begin this year uh the nypd um pointed to numbers that said that there was a spike in crime and attributed that to that reform in 2019. And then there was a big rollback on that uh, just a couple of months ago, uh, a big rollback to that um, uh, progressive cash bail reform uh, that had been passed in 2019. I'm sure you would attribute 
a factor of that rollback to fear mongering. Uh, but how do we get? How do you get back the momentum to get to the point where we do have this more progressive cash bail uh, reform system that uh, you, I'm sure you would say, uh, would benefit uh, a lot of people, law enforcement and uh, citizens as well? Absolutely. Uh, I am 100% in favor of ending cash bail. Cash bail does nothing except for perpetuate the biased and racist nature of our criminal legal system. Uh, you know, people of color are far more likely to have higher bail set on them to be held in pretrial detention. And this means longer pleas, you know, longer prison sentences. And the only way to break the status quo is, is through transformative change, which, which New York started kind of to do in this reform of the, of the cash bail system. And, and bail has never kept us safe. You know, the purpose of cash bail is to ensure someone's return to court, but all it has ever done is detain people who are not wealthy enough to buy their freedom. So we say you are you are innocent until proven guilty in this country, but that really only applies to people who are of means, because people who can't afford to pay their bail can sit in jail at Rikers Island here in New York for days, weeks, months, or even years, waiting to see if they are even convicted of a crime. Sometimes maybe they take a plea just in order to resolve the case and get out of jail. Um, you know, we see better outcomes in cases where people are at liberty and the majority of people come back to court anyhow. Um, and so it, it makes sense. And the data shows that if someone is locked up for, even if it's just a period of three months, three weeks, or three days, that they are exponentially more likely to reoffend or get rearrested. And it makes sense because if you think about it, then the person could lose their home, they lose their job, they lose their children to foster care if they're a single parent. Um, people could lose everything they've ever worked for for being locked up just from a matter of days. And so I think it's extremely important to, um, to, to end this system of wealth-based detention. You mentioned Rikers Island. And at the very top of uh, this interview, I mentioned the effects of COVID-19. Uh, right when COVID-19 was really starting to uh, gain a grip uh, here in the United States, uh, late in February and then in March, uh, there were stories from Rikers Island and other uh, prisons and jails um, about the dire situations in those institutions uh, with COVID-19 running rampant, especially in those prisons in Rikers Island. Uh, you were someone who was voicing that and immediately and talking about it uh, right as those bits of news broke out. Now that it's a couple of months in, what are you seeing? What are you hearing now uh, in terms of the situations in prisons as it compares, as it relates to COVID-19? And how can those situations, if they are still dire, which I'm sure some of them are, um, because of outbreaks in cities that have started uh, in prisons, uh, how do we get to the point where we can improve uh, those situations in prisons with in relation to COVID-19 and just in general? So the rates of infection of COVID-19 in jails and prisons were exponentially higher than in cities in general and in the country uh, as a whole. In, at Rikers Island, I think it got up to about 10 times the rate of infection in New York City. And New York City had a pretty high rate of infection at that point. Um, and we're seeing cities and states be able to, to you know, flatten the curve, but in our jails and prisons, we are still seeing very high rates 
of, of COVID infection. And, and it's kind of not that surprising because people entering our jails and prisons are among the most vulnerable in society anyhow, and incarceration only exacerbates that. Um, we're seeing people, this was already a public health crisis, you know, whereas we're seeing overcrowding in cells. There's no ability to social distance. People oftentimes don't have soap. Um, hand sanitizer is literally contraband in jail and prison because it contains alcohol. Um, there are 30 to 40 people sharing one toilet. People are sitting shoulder to shoulder at mess halls, eating off of dirty um, trays and plates. And, and so, of course, anything that is, you know, they're Petri dishes, so anything, that is uh, very highly contagious gets spread like wildfire in a jail or prison. And so we were seeing that that disease was just spreading um, you know, very, very rapidly in jails and prisons. And, and sadly, that's not some you know, outlier. We saw you know, early on when I was a public defender, I remember there was a TB outbreak at Rikers Island and, and it just kind of went, everybody's coughing and it just went kind of, you know, it, it spread very quickly. And, and I think that this is so important to think about because when people say, oh, well, it's people in jails and prisons, well, the, 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 the boundaries between jails and prisons in our communities are porous. It's not like coronavirus says, oh, okay, this is the inside of the jail and that's the outside. I mean, there are people in and out, in and out. So we're seeing correction officers get infected at very high rates, bring the infections home, infect their families, infect their communities. Everyone is being transported to the same hospitals. And so these, you know, our fates are, are inextricably intertwined. And so I think people need to really consider that and think about the fact that the current Manhattan District Attorney, Cy Vance, continues to send people to Rikers Island and to hold people there, even without providing corroborated evidence or grand jury testimony or have a preliminary hearing to actually um, substantiate the charges against people. And, and so, you know, we need a DA who will decarcerate and who will take these things into account and think about the, the human cost of this um, when, when thinking about, about these issues. Mm. Uh, you mentioned the current district attorney, uh, Cy Vance, uh, in Manhattan, and you mentioned uh, just something right now that you believe was a shortcoming of his. Do you think that is his biggest shortcoming and the main reason why you are um, putting your name and in the hat and running against uh, him and for district attorney? Cy Vance has so many shortcomings that it's hard to pick just one or even the biggest, but... Uh, basically, he's someone who has perpetuated this this kind of two systems of justice. Basically, you probably have heard people say, "Oh, our criminal justice system is broken," but I tell them it's not. It's it's at, in fact working exactly as it was designed, which is to marginalize people who were already from marginalized communities, people of color, LGBTQIA folks, folks with disabilities, you know, people who are just working every day to try to make a paycheck and, and provide for their families, while giving breaks to the rich and powerful, while, while you know, allowing people like Harvey Weinstein and Jeffrey Epstein and the Trump kids to, to face no accountability for, for their actions while, while locking everyone else up at, at very high rates. So I think that, that Cy Vance is someone who, his system of justice has not been justice for all. And um, I think that there's so many reasons why I'm running against him, but, but, but truly figuring out a way to uh, create a fair and just system that also keeps us safe 
is is my biggest aim. Mm. Uh, once again, Eliza Orleans joining us, public defender in New York City and district attorney candidate uh, for New York County, Manhattan. Uh, the primary is in 2021. Last year, there was a very uh, spirited uh, district attorney race in Queens, uh, and, a, and a colleague of yours, uh, Tiffany Caban, ran a very spirited race. Um, and uh, for a short while, uh, it seemed that she uh, was the winner uh, of that race. And uh, one of the platforms um, against Melinda Katz um, back in 2019, um, and one of the platforms that Tiffany Caban has is decriminalizing uh, sex work. Uh, is that something that uh, you agree with her and other people who uh, uh, believe that sex work should be decriminalized and why? Absolutely. Um, we need to decriminalize sex work. It is so important that we decriminalize. And when I say decriminalize sex work, I mean consensual sex work. And I mean consensual sex work, not just for, for those who are selling the sex, but those who are buying it. Because all we serve to do by criminalizing this um, work that people are, are engaging in is make them, people who are already vulnerable, more vulnerable. We force them underground. We allow them to be terrorized by the, by the police. Um, and we allow the, the people who are perpetrating real harm, you know, people who are traffickers, people who are um, committing violence against sex workers or, or violence against women or, you know, trans women or, you know, whoever is, is trying to just do their job, they're not held accountable because people are too afraid to report, to seek help, to do anything because they're forced underground due to the criminalization of sex work. And and I think that, you know, just like the the failed war on drugs, you know, the war on sex work has really just been a war on people. And it has predominantly affected people of color, um, especially trans women of color. There's also the, um, you know, the need to, to decriminalize essentially what we call the loitering for the purpose of prostitution in New York. It's a, it's something that's criminalized, but has really been commonly known as the walking while trans ban because trans women of color are out on the street just walking from place to place and they get arrested and booked for loitering for the purpose of prostitution uh and so it's just been it's been a horrible thing to witness and and we need to decriminalize sex work in order to protect people being a public defender for as long as you have uh, i do i'm wondering uh, for all the different cases that you've worked, and um, I believe there was a time, or there have been times, where you've you know worked a lot of night shifts um, while uh, being a public defender. Uh, when was that moment? Can you take me back to the moment or moments where you concluded or really thought that this this being uh, run for Manhattan District Attorney um, and be a candidate for it? What was that one moment or a couple of moments where you thought, this is what I have to do? Like, this was the moment where I need to become the next uh, district attorney in Manhattan. Was there a moment? Did it happen in um, court uh, being a public defender? Take me through that moment where you thought, this is what I have to do now. Well, I can't say there was one specific moment. I think it was kind of one of those things that just built up and built up and built up where I was so heartbroken and frustrated and 
angry about the system and about the way that it operated and about the what Cy Vance's office did um, to perpetuate this cruel, unjust criminal legal system. But I think that it started, you know, very early on. And, and I mean, over the course of the last decade, I have represented over 3,000 people charged with crimes in this city. But I remember one night, I think it was probably my first year as a public defender um, in 2009, and I walked into night court and I met a man who um, had, uh, you know, just like all my clients had been arrested within the last 24 hours. And I, I'll call him John for the purposes of this story. And he, um, he had worked as a uh, assistant manager to Gristides, uh, a grocery store in Lower Manhattan, and he'd worked at the same Gristides for 25 years. He'd made his way up to assistant manager, and one night he was leaving the store. It was 11 o'clock at night. He was closing up for the night. He had bought two bags of groceries with his employee discount, and he got on the A train to head back uptown to his home to bring his food home to his family. And he set the groceries on the seats next to him in the uncrowded subway car and settled in for his long ride home. And at the 125th Street stop, two uniformed NYPD officers got on the train. They grabbed his groceries and dumped them to the ground and they placed John in handcuffs and took him to jail for the night for the crime of occupying multiple seats on a transit facility. And yeah, I met him the next night. I got him out of jail. But for for over 10 years, that frustration, that heartbreak, that anger has never gone away because in seeing people, in defending moms and dads and sons and daughters and sisters and brothers and, and watching people be jailed and bullied for as little as taking up two seats on the subway, I've just come up against this system that was systematically designed to disenfranchise so many people. And I realized that we really can't change the system unless we change the DA. And so that's why I decided to run for Manhattan District Attorney. and. Um, and, and change the, the way that we operate, where the prime beneficiaries are these rich, powerful, and well-connected. And the, it's no coincidence because the system has been operated and implemented by an elite entrenched politician and that that's what we get out of it. So we need to, we need to change that. To be someone who not only is a voice for so many people have complained about these situations like that and have not been heard that these um, instances do happen. Uh, to be someone who is a voice and who is a defender for the people who have been uh, disenfranchised and marginalized is something that um, I can't thank you enough because, you know, having those situations happen, as you mentioned uh, with John, uh, I know people who... Uh, have had similar instances uh, where everyday things that they do or you know very petty crimes or no crime uh, turns into uh, them being uh, imprisoned um, and then staying in the system because they don't have uh, the money to post bail uh, so and I'm sure so many people can relate to that whether it's themselves family member a friend of a friend, kind of that six degree situation um, with so many people who have been uh, caught up in the system for situations like that. It does exist. It does exist. And to have you talk about that with us is something that um, it is indispensable, um, even though we are a sports related uh, show. Uh, this this hits everybody. And um, my apologies for the inelegant 
segue, uh, but I know uh, you're a big sports fan. Um, I know you're a big uh, New York Giants fan and big with Syracuse University, of course, um, our alma mater. Um, uh, with sports being at a standstill, uh, I'll get you out on this. I guess, what are you looking forward to the most if and when uh, sports comes back? So I'm just sticking with sports unless you want to take it off of sports, but what are you most looking forward to in coming back sports-wise and which team, teams or players you're looking to root for and hope they possibly win a championship uh, uh, for uh, your mood of being a sports fan elevated? So anything you're looking forward to uh, from a sports-related perspective when it comes back? Oh, man. That's <laughs> I mean, I, I, I just want everyone to stay safe and healthy and make sure they don't come back before, you know, to put it, I don't want anybody to be put at risk um, as much as I very deeply uh, love the, the New York football giants and the Syracuse Orange um, and would love to see them back. I mean, I hope that, you know, fingers crossed for, for college basketball season, you know, that was always my favorite. And so I, I love rooting, rooting on uh, Cuse. <laughs> uh, a lot of uh, Cuse alums and people who are uh, former Big East fans and current ACC fans um, can definitely uh, agree with you and feel you on rooting for Cuse. Um, and Eliza Orleans, uh, public defender, uh, Manhattan district attorney candidate in 2021. Uh, she is running for uh, Manhattan district attorney. Uh, for more information or to donate to her campaign, it is Eliza. Orleans, E-L-I-Z-A O-R-L-I-N-S dot com uh, Is there any other way that uh, other people can find out about you and your campaign or yourself in general before you go? The website's great. Go to ElizaOrleans.com Sign up for our email list uh, Donate, volunteer and spread the message tell your friends i'm also eliza orleans on twitter e orleans on instagram and eliza orleans for ny f-o-r-n-y on facebook eliza orleans thank you so very much for joining us it has been wonderful uh catching up with you and i definitely hope that we catch up soon and i hope that we have fun and safely have fun uh, at a Syracuse University uh, basketball game in this area, uh, New York City area soon. And thank you so much for the work that you do and have done over the past decade plus. Uh, it has been indispensable. So many people are grateful for the work that you've done, for the voice um, that you have had in terms of shining a light on this justice system, which, as you said, is working the way it has been set up. It's the setup that has been and that has always been crooked. Eliza, thank you so very much for joining us. And uh, again, best of luck and success uh, with your work uh, as a public defender and for your candidacy for Manhattan District Attorney. Eliza, thank you for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. We can't thank Eliza Orleans enough for joining us on the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast for this very special podcast. And just hearing that story about the man working at the Gristides and uh, on the A train and having his groceries just dumped and be arrested for taking up a second seat on the train, uh, that just uh, hits me to my core. 
hits me to my core. Uh, the A train is the mode of transportation I've taken more than uh, any other mode of transportation I've taken in my life. Uh, I'm familiar with that train. I'm familiar with that route. And to know that those incidents happen and to know that those incidents do happen across the country and disproportionately affect uh, black and brown American citizens and black and brown people in this country. It's uh, it's it's heart wrenching. It's sickening. It's gut wrenching. It's um, it just invokes uh, too many emotions that uh, I can cover right now. Uh, but again, thank you, Eliza. Thank you so much for highlighting so many of the uh, societal ills and the discrepancies and being able to articulate it in such a wonderful fashion. And as I said, if you go on to a lot of sports talk dot com and click on the story which has this interview, we will have links uh, to different websites that you are able to click on and then look at some of the statistics that we uh, mentioned during the interview uh, with Eliza Orleans. And um, this has to change. This has to stop right now there must be change and we can't wait uh another second so uh if in the event that you want to reach out to us and talk about these sorts of issues one-on-one uh i encourage that uh you can go to a lot of sports talk.com you can reach out to me at adishina at a lot of sports talk.com. That's my email address. Uh, you can contact us on Facebook on the A Lot of Sports Talk Facebook page, our Instagram page, A Lot of Sports Talk, and our Twitter page is at A Lost, A L O S T underscore official. So we cannot wait to hear from you. And we would love to have uh, these conversations with you if you want to know more uh, about how you can not just be not racist, but be anti-racist as well. Um, And if you still have uh, more questions just about this movement, this reckoning uh, that's going on in the United States, especially since we're just a couple of weeks away at the time of this recording uh, from the 2020 presidential election, uh, please reach out to us. We would be more than happy to uh, share our thoughts, listen to your thoughts, uh, as long as it's done in a very respectful manner. Um, and I uh, can't wait to uh, hear from you. So, uh, again, thank you for listening. Uh, we thank Eliza Orleans for joining us uh, on this episode of the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast. And in the next uh, few episodes, you will hear more athletes and more people in the sports world not only talk about sports, but talk about sports through the lens of race and race relations. Uh, And it is definitely something that we will and have concentrated on over the past few months and will concentrate on uh, going forward as well. So uh, we do thank you for joining us on our journey. And uh, we hope you continue to join us on our journey, talking about sports and so many other important things as well. So thank you so very much for joining us on the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast. My name is Adeshina Korki. Again, follow us on social media, Facebook, A Lot of Sports Talk. That's our Facebook page. Uh, On Instagram, A Lot of Sports Talk, one word. On Twitter, it's at a lost a l o s t underscore official. You can follow me personally at koiki k o i k i underscore sports.
Thank you. Uh, this is Adashina Koiki for the Loud Sports Talk Podcast, and we will see you soon. Take care. Bye-bye.